Hi, all of you awesome scuba divers out there. Welcome to the Scuba Diver Magazine podcast, where I break down the latest scuba diving news and things that have piqued my interest in the scuba diving world over the previous week. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, Welcome to 2024. Um, It's been a good year so far for me. This week on the podcast, scuba divers have solved two more cold case mysteries. A capsized dive boat has left two people lost at sea. A new study has showed how shipwrecks are impacting the ecosystem around them and much more. So the first news story is the Florida group Sunshine State Sonar have been able to trace the remains of Sandra Lemire, uh, 47, in a vehicle submerged in a small floodwater retention pond near Disney World Orlando nearly 12 years after her disappearance. Lemire had left Orlando on the 8th of May 2012 driving a red Ford Freestar minivan to Kissimmee? Uh, to meet a man that she had met online. After calling her grandmother, whose car that she was using, to tell her that she had arrived, uh, Lamaya was last seen driving away from a restaurant in said minivan before she went missing. Sunshine State Sonar had already searched 63 bodies of water for Lamaya since July 2022, collaborating with law enforcement agencies. Then a Orlando police detective passed on a tip relating to her last phone call that enabled the divers to narrow down their search. Using their sonar scanner at the pond on the 30th of December, they located a vehicle at a depth of about four meters and immediately dived to retrieve the license plate, which matched that of the Freestar. The vehicle, along with Lamaya's remains and belongings, were recovered by the authorities on New Year's Eve. Lamaya's daughter-in-law, Michelle Lewis, told Sanchez sunshine state sonar we finally know what happened we can finally put her beautiful soul at rest which says it also so sunshine state sonar says they also solved four other cold cases in the early part of 2023 there's quite a few of these kind of teams uh, i think one disappears uh, because one of the um uh, either founders or contributors uh, did something naughty. I can't remember exactly what they did, um, but something in the back of my mind uh, tells me that yeah, that um, that channel is no longer active. Um, but yeah, there are uh, sort of others and just scuba divers out there who are using their skills and underwater expertise to yeah solve these cold cases because there's there's a lot of these unsolved mysteries where people uh, just go missing and. They're likely in and around these bodies of water and the police are busy enough with enough current cases to go through all of these cold cases. And yeah, they uh, they dedicate their free time to try and solve these cold cases, which is pretty awesome. Obviously, before you go jumping into the water yourselves and searching for um, uh, for cars and whatever that's, uh, that have gone in the water, uh, make sure that you're doing it properly. Um, you, you have the proper training equipment and um, like you liaise with local law enforcement. You don't want to be treading on any toes. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a nice news story for um, uh, for for divers to be to be helping out and uh, and solve these cold cases. Over the Christmas period, a 57-year-old British woman and a Thai cook remain missing after the other 16 people on their capsized dive boat were rescued by a fishing boat crew in the Andaman Sea on the morning of the 23rd of December. The woman has been named as Millie Young, 57, an artist from Brighton. The incident occurred at around 9am, some four nautical miles from the Sunrin Islands National Park, which lies 30 miles from the Thai mainland. 
on board the Reggae Queen, a liverboard, also known as Sawan, uh, had reported 13 tourist snorkelers or scuba divers, including a UK couple with their two children, along with five crew members. They'd embarked on a trip to explore the waters around Turinla Island in the National Park. The vessel is thought to have been overwhelmed by strong winds, possibly whilst manoeuvring. A local fishing boat picked up 15 of the guests and four crew members and brought them ashore around midday, obviously um, noting two missing people. Sunrin Naval Forces liaised with National Park officials to launch a search and rescue operation covering a wide area using a naval helicopter, patrol vessels and ribs. Fishing and cargo vessels in the area were also instructed to join in the search, though stormy conditions typical of that time of year were were said to have been hampering the search. Strong northwesterly currents could have swept the missing pair some distance from the site of the sinking. Another tourist boat, which was carrying Russian tourists, also capsized, uh, knocking the uh, the passengers and the captain into the sea, though they were all picked up and, uh, and uninjured. Local authorities issued a temporary ban on tour boats in the area, while search operations for the two missing people continued. Scientists at Cranfield University were part of an international team team of ecologists and archaeologists researching how shipwrecks impact the surrounding underwater ecosystems. Their research, which is published in the Bioscience Journal, reveals how shipwrecks provide a unique chance to understand complex ecological processes. Shipwrecks create artificial structures and materials that stand out from the surrounding ecosystem, the study says. It leads to shipwrecks becoming homes for a wide variety of organisms, from tiny microbes to large marine creatures, offering valuable valuable ecological resources. Microorganisms, algae and invertebrates like corals and sponges, thrive on submerged debris, while small fish find shelter in the crevices of sunken material. Larger bait fish and predators use shipwrecks as feeding grounds and rest stops during their journeys. While shipwrecks act as biodiversity hotspots, they can also harbour invasive species that can negatively impact the surrounding ecosystem. Dr. Peter Campbell from the Cranfield Forensic Institute said, Our research examines the fascinating world of shipwrecks, revealing how underwater heritage serve as dynamic ecosystems. Shipwrecks stand as poignant reminders of the intricate relationship between human culture and the natural world. From microorganisms to large predators and marine mammals, they support a thriving habitat that enriches biodiversity in ways we are only beginning to comprehend. There are an estimated 3 million shipwrecks scattered across the ocean floors, rivers, and lake beds, which have been reclaimed by aquatic life. Such relics are classified as underwater cultural heritage by UNESCO, as they represent tangible remains of past human behavior and cultural heritage. While shipwrecks are recognized as cultural resources, they are also ecological treasures because of the homes that they create for underwater life. And I don't have to tell you scuba divers, um, it's quite frequent to see more fish in and around shipwrecks than just in a normal reef they do have that um like special habitat for these um uh, for this marine life on the outside you often get all of the uh, the corals and the sponges and things growing off of it because it's a a stable structure but then on the inside of course that's a, a nice dark protected place 
and you often see a lot of fish species just hanging out inside of there because they feel relatively safe and uh, yeah that, that just sort of makes sense that if you get lots of little fish there then the bigger fish go well you know what last time I was there there were lots of little fish I'll go there uh, so yeah it's it's a, it's a benefit for us as scuba divers. It's something for us to uh, to explore, and yeah, for the uh, for the marine life as well. It gives them a nice structure. Um, the the downsides are is like how the ship was wrecked. If it's um, uh, if it was prepared, if it was purposely scuttled, um, then I mean you get a lot of these kind of shipwrecks like the uh, the USS Kitty Wake, uh, where they're specifically stripped out. Uh, they're, they're old vessels that they have no use for. It's uh, it's going to be too hard to to scrap the entire thing. So what they do is they take all of the um, the, the gubbins and stuff on the inside. They they drain all of the oil um, and all of the uh, like toxic metals and things. They strip all of that out. Uh, they they cut holes in key areas and they seal some other areas uh, to prevent scuba divers from going into these like really awkward areas. Um, but otherwise, yeah, they prepare it so that it sinks perfectly upright in a specific area that is, um, it's quite hard for marine life to just thrive in that area. They're usually relatively barren areas and they um, they scuttle it so it sinks and then it creates this um this like hotspot for yeah local marine life. And after a few years you start to see it really um just yeah as they say be taken over by uh, by local marine life. Um one thing that the uh, the study did say is that yeah you do have to be careful of invasive species uh, especially like lionfish they're um, they're spreading like wildfire like everywhere someone introduced them to the um, uh, to the Americas truth was in the eighties and um, and yet now they're just everywhere and just decimating everything because they don't really have any natural predators um, and now they're moving up into the Mediterranean I think I saw um, and yeah that they're going to use these as um, like rest points and um, breeding areas but um, but hey it is quite interesting to uh, to read a study uh, if you do want to uh, read up on the study then I'll, I'll put a link down in the in the description below in a similar area artificial intelligence is becoming a game changer for turtle monitoring the world's first artificial intelligence monitoring app for green turtles and seabirds has been designed to help protect these endangered species and this technology is 20 times faster than human counting and is now being used in the world largest green turtle rookery where as many as 20,000 turtles nest in a single night um the just to have enough people and man hours to to crunch these numbers and, uh, and really account for everything is just unfeasible uh whereas now that we have modern ai that can uh, that can process these kind of things in like the, the blink of an eye um it's uh, it's really becoming a game changer and it's just in time for turtle nesting season. Um, the um, the QUT have developed the very first artificial intelligence monitoring app for green turtles and seabirds, funded by Rain and Horn Foundation. And this AI software tool is named the Rain Island Drone Automated Tallying App, or Data. Um, I think they came up with that acronym before they uh, they created the uh, the name, and it has been successfully developed for Queensland's Parks and Wildlands Service, traditional owner rangers, and scientists to use in the field during nesting season. Um, the Rain and Horn Foundation donated a hundred thousand dollars to the Great 
Barrier Reef Foundation to fund this transformational project. Rain and Horn has a family connection to Rain Island through Executive Chairman Angus Rain's great-great-grandfather, Captain Thomas Rain, who was the very first European to sight the island's shores in 1815. Uh, Rain Island is the world's largest green turtle rookery and is situated on the like northern edge of the Great Barrier Reef. The island's traditional owners, the uh, the uh, Wuthati, and the Merriam National people hold very strong cultural and spiritual connections to Rain Island and continue to play an important role in its conservation. Monitoring the turtle population on the islands during nesting season is critical if we are to uh, protect this endangered species. However, with as many as 20,000 turtles nesting on Rain Island in a single night and a human count of 64,000 green turtles via drone footage in one season alone, research teams have turned to technology to automate how to monitor this incredibly important turtle population. The app is installed on a desktop computer that can be operated on board vessels where in real time key personnel can process videos and images collected by drones to accurately count critical green turtle and seabird populations. The custom turtle tracking and tally algorithms uh, were found to be 20 times faster than human counting and the project lead Professor Matt's uh, done Dumbabin um, said, over the last three years, we've been working on different elements of AI-based tracking and counting of turtles and seabirds using images collected by drones and static cameras at Rain Island. It was incredibly satisfying in August to have staff from QPWS visit our lab with a hard disk of new drone images from their last Rain Island island trip and feed it into the app so the app's a real game changer because instead of having like people just trawl over all of this um like pictures and videos and uh, mark down and oh okay yeah that subject number is xyz and um and then like tally it all up the the app allows automated processing of raw drone images as well as processed uh, maps of the island for identifying and counting seabirds, uh, as well as sea turtles. And it just very quickly and easily gives them a, uh, a like rough tally of yeah how many um, uh, like subjects are in that area. And it can give them an idea of trends, whether they're increasing or decreasing, um, as to know sort of what to do and uh, where to look. So it's, it's a very clever tool. And I imagine more and more of these like AI apps are going to be uh, so like coming out in like marine conservation just to, um, uh, yeah, just analyze a lot of data in a very short amount of time and very minimal like manual input. So um, as far as man hours, we can be focusing on other things whilst the other uh, AI just does all the boring, like, number-crunching stuff. Closer to home here in the UK, a diver has found more than 300 coins and other items from the seabed that lay beneath the iconic Plymouth Pier, which was a Victorian wonder until it was bombarded in the Blitz and subsequently demolished. Uh, Bazenza Johnson was first alerted to the treasures laying on and in the sediment by a local swimmer, and she found her first arcade token during a freediving session. Uh, since then, she has found coins from many different countries, including France, China, Spain, India, Africa, Ecuador, Jersey, and Ireland, as well as various arcade tokens, medallions, and even a Victorian ring. 
The 43-year-old treasure hunter has accumulated more than 300 items during her dives off of Plymouth Hoe and intends to pass them on to her family with the hope that they can one day end up in a museum. Um, yeah, diving off of piers and, um, and stuff like this, there's always going to be something. We always had a joke at our dive center that the best time to um, uh, to do like search and rescue uh, or correction search and recovery uh, was like a few days or the weekend after a um, a dive show you'd uh, you'd start your search and recovery just around the entry point of your local dive site and anybody who's bought new dive equipment but they haven't clipped it on quite properly they do their giant stride entry and uh, and then it falls off and then inevitably it uh, it just falls and it's lost uh so if you do your search and recovery around there you're probably going to find a shiny new torch or something um but yeah around piers and uh, and everything you always see um like pictures and videos of divers finding stuff uh, around this people um have either thrown something in um you've got to be quite careful uh, i did see one and um I think it was a magnet fisher uh, where you attach a, a powerful magnet onto a, a, um, a rope. Uh, you just lob it into the water and drag it back. And uh, and some they find like interesting things. Uh, this guy, he found an urn. Um, and uh, for some reason, he decided to open it and empty the uh, the contents, uh, discovered that there was nothing inside until he flipped it over and it said, here lies the remains of um, such and such. Um, and uh, you're like, yeah, don't don't be doing that um leave leave them uh people have uh, decided to, uh, to to put them in this body of water for a uh, particular reason uh so try not to disturb them um as well as any like armaments and stuff uh anything that was designed to go bang when it was outside of the water um is probably best left in place uh so if it looks like a gun or something or if it looks like ammunition leave it in place try and mark the location and let uh, local authorities know where it is so that they can do it properly but yeah around piers and things you often find yeah the sunglasses uh rings and and all that kind of stuff people that have um yes kind of accidentally drop stuff in it is quite common and um apparently it's quite common in the victorian era as well to uh, to drop uh coins and things so um yeah it's always nice if you want to uh, try and pick up something shiny uh try diving around these kind of dive sites uh do be careful anywhere that um is quite popular with fishing uh, you don't want to get snagged up by a, uh, a fisherman's hook uh, whilst you're searching for something shiny. I've heard horror stories of uh, of divers getting hooks caught in them, and uh, of course the, the fisherman on top side uh, just goes, "Oh, this is exciting! Uh, this feels like a really big fish." And uh, yeah, it's it's you that they've uh, that they've attached themselves to. Uh, so do be careful of that. But um, yeah, if you are after something shiny, then yeah, piers and uh, and any kind of public promenade uh, are always quite uh, quite popular for finding anything shiny that's it as far as the news um that uh, that piqued my uh, my interest over the uh, the christmas period um i didn't see anything overly exciting as far as new dive equipment uh we probably won't see much until like february february is um like in the northern hemisphere at least when the uh, the dive season starts to ramp up so um that's when the manufacturers are going to start really announcing their their 2024 lineups and uh, and it's going to start being available uh, so in the next like month or two it's going to be quite interesting for um for yeah shiny new dive equipment but the christmas period is a, a long time for me to uh, to be away answering questions uh, so looking at some ask mark questions uh, i'll try and go over these quickly because uh, it is 
been a while. Uh, so the first one comes from Jared Kalander 9129 and uh, and they say, can you please compare a traditional backplate and wing setup with a dive right transpack, uh, essentially regarding buoyancy? Um, yeah, so the, the dive right transpack, that was designed for the, was it the CEO of uh, of dive right? Um, he, he, he basically wanted like an all-rounder, but something that was comfortable for long surface treks with like a cylinder on your back. And it's basically a, a fabric backplate system. Uh, I think you can attach a, a backplate, but it still has all the uh, the attachment points and whatnot. Um, as far as buoyancy, uh, the it's just material. Uh, I, I imagine they try to make it as neutrally buoyant as possible, whereas something like a stainless steel uh, backplate is going to be very negatively buoyant. Um, so, yeah. I mean, if it if it suits you, then uh, then great, go for it. If you want something a bit more DIR, uh, you're trying to go down that route, uh, then I'd steer more towards a, a proper metal backplate. Um, but if you just want something something flexible that you have a bit of uh, like customization against a, uh, a normal recreational backplate, then um, then yeah, dive right trans back. It's been going for uh, for years now, and uh, and a lot of divers use it. It's it's perfectly fine. It's not quite my bag um it it'll do the job i'll be quite happy diving with it but given the choice i i just stick with a, a normal uh, metal backplate uh, i just like how how more rigid they are and the other cylinder doesn't like rock around on your back uh, the Red Baron 11 says, recently I seem to have developed a possibility of getting nausea during dives. Happened twice now, both times whilst underwater. Increased a bit until the end of the dive, but not enough to actually throw up. I didn't get seasick ever on boats. Uh, someone told me it may be caused by coffee, and I did drink coffee on both of these days, uh, which I didn't do for earlier dives. Is this a usual thing? Any other food that makes you nauseous? Yeah, I can get it sometimes. Um, if I eat a lot, then I tend to get a bit of like heartburn during a dive uh, because of that uh, like horizontal position as well. It's usually on liverboards uh, where they just just ply you with uh, with food constantly. Um, but if it's coffee, yeah, coffee's uh, a bit acidic. Um, some divers find with uh, like fruit juices as well acidic. Uh, like orange juice and whatnot, uh, that just adds to your your stomach acid, and yeah, that that can give you a bit of reflux. So if you find that coffee does have that effect on you, it's quite easy just to avoid that. But also, uh, yeah, acidic foods and whatnot. I try and avoid uh, too much like sugary foods and uh, and fatty foods as well uh, before a dive. Uh, I try and keep it quite starchy to uh, to give me some long term energy. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a relatively known thing, and um, and some divers get it worse than others. Uh, yeah, I myself, I you kind of get that like that like heat in your chest. It's it's not like painful. It's just like uncomfortable, and you can feel, and it is is just just weird. Um, but yeah, it uh, coffee can cause it. Um, so it's best to uh, to keep it uh, keep it off, or like drink it. Uh, as as far ahead as possible um so your body has enough time to um to move it through your stomach um as possible 
B, I'm going to say BP Perk says, what's the best way to bring your emotional support bolt snap with you whilst flying? Uh, tucking it in a pocket seems rude. Uh, checking it in baggage just mean, yeah, never check it. Um, mine's usually attached to my keys. Uh, I always have one on my backpack as well. Um, my, um, uh, my, my rucksack has a, a bunch of like strap, uh, like Molly attachment type things. And, and I usually hook it onto that. Um, so at least I always have one or yeah, there's the one of on my, uh, my keys. So, um, and I've, I've never had like airport security take it from me. It's, it's a bolt snap. I'm sure they've seen plenty of those. Um, I wouldn't leave it, uh, externally on a on a bag i've had one of those disappear before um on a flight uh, which is quite disappointing but um yeah just just in your pocket is fine um scuba george 93 says i've seen a few times you've got the fourth element tech fins in the rails behind uh, i'm seriously thinking about getting a set any chance of a review or have you got any opinions on them i currently use the hollis f2s so i'm interested in how they compare to them uh yeah they're fine uh, i can't really uh, do a test with the ones behind me because they're actually uh, production samples and they're um, they're the wrong material. They're a lot softer, um, which is why I've never um, uh, done a, a video with those ones in particular. Uh, I have used the uh, the real thing when they first came out when I was working for for Simply, and yeah, they're they're a bit lighter. They're a, they're a lighter style of jet fin um, for general like maneuvering work they're fine um i along with some others um that i've seen online found that their back kick if you're trying to reverse is uh, is a little bit slippery um they, they don't have quite as much oomph as some uh, some alternatives um but otherwise yeah they're perfectly fine uh they come with very minimal packaging uh, which i'm always a fan of uh they do or at least they did come with a, a little strap uh, with a bolt snap to um, to hang them up, which is pretty cool. Um, I have seen online that some people complain that the um, the spring heel strap can be a bit tight. Um, they uh, they they'd like some uh, like adjustment on that, uh, which I do like on a few pair of fins where you get different. Uh, the the Hollis ones, I know the F one because I used to dive um, F one bat fins. Uh, they had like four bolts so you could tighten and then tighten more or loosen and loosen more the uh, the spring heel strap um i on the um on the tech fins the fourth element ones i think it's just it's a bit more like the um uh, the classic scuba pro design so you can't adjust them for length it's just that's it um or you can't you just have to replace the the entire spring assembly uh for a for a longer set but as a general um, pair of fins yeah, they get um, they they get you where you need to go. Uh, Chewbacca ten says, "Happy Christmas, Happy Christmas, everybody!" Uh, new to the sport, after a year, I finally pieced together my soft gear. What are the chances you you will have old gear lying around collecting dust? Very high. Um, I'd gladly provide it a, a loving hurt. Uh, a correction, a, a loving home never hurts to ask, right? Uh, but seriously, thanks for the videos. Uh, you you are welcome. Uh, yeah, you do collect um stuff uh, i mean for me working at a dive center when you're starting out is just dangerous because you always see all of this new dive equipment coming out and you're like ooh, 
oh, that's shinier than my mask. And, uh, and yeah, you get staff discount and everything. Um, so it, it makes it um, very, very dangerous at, uh, at collecting new dive equipment. Um, but yeah, most, um, most stuff just ends up on like eBay um, or just, yeah, taking up space in drawers. For me, it's quite useful for me to have old um, like spares because you never know when you need something for demonstrations. Um, and yeah, if I'm ever diving with, uh, with someone new, it's, it's helpful to have, uh, redundance and extra gear for, uh, for them as well as myself. So, um, yeah, but yeah, have a, have a look around that there's plenty of, um, like forums and stuff where, um, uh, where you can find yourself a bargain. It's not all just, uh, just eBay and whatnot. You, you can find on like the dive forum, um, that, um, yeah, pe- people are selling stuff and they're, they're pretty reputable. I've bought stuff of, of, uh, forums before and it's perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, it is not unusual for you to, uh, to collect stuff and then upgrade and uh, make it a bit redundant in the future. Jason Moody 1012 says, Mark, buoyancy control, dry suit or BCD? Uh, that was all in, uh, block capitals uh which to use as recently passed my dry suit speciality congratulations and reading so many different opinions on this topic uh would love to hear your take on the subject um so i use my bcd on the surface and then my dry suit underwater uh the the main benefit of using your dry suit underwater is that you're adding insulating gas to your dry suit whereas if you put that uh, that buoyancy gas in your uh, your bcd it's it's not keeping you warm. There, there is an argument that your BCD is more designed to hold you in a better position in the water. However, uh, for me, your dry suit does that perfectly fine. And once you get used to the dry suit, uh, you're not adding that much gas in. It's just enough to, uh, to keep you comfortable. Um, but yeah, <laughs> another benefit of your dry suit is that most, if not all, have a um, uh, an automatic vent whereas your bcd you, you ascend and then you have to consciously find a dump valve make sure it's at the highest point and then vent it with your um uh, with your auto shoulder dump the most you have to do is like lean your left shoulder upwards a bit otherwise it just kind of vents itself which is uh which is very convenient it leaves you uh, sort of hands free to do other things um and then yeah once you're on the surface your you bcd um it, it, for me, that's uh, that it, it works every time, and that's how I was taught on my like HSE course. Um, yeah, BCD on the surface, but otherwise, yeah, just use your dry suit. Scuba Crow fifty seven fifty eight says, "Hi Mark, if you decided to buy a new dry suit, would you fit it with a plastic or a metal zip, and why?" Uh, probably metal. Uh, I've dived with both. the uh, The main difference for me is that I'm much more worried about my plastic zip. Whereas I don't think I ever really worried about my metal zipper unless I was folding it. Um, most people say that the, the main benefit of plastic over metal is that they're lighter and they're uh, much smoother to uh, to move that zipper, which is true. But in the grand scheme of things, the few grams that's um, that you're saving is negligible compared to the rest of your dive equipment. And I can't say I'd be able to notice just by like picking up two identical dry suits, which one had a metal zip and which one had a plastic zip because yeah, it's just a few grams. And also once you lubricate that, uh, that metal zipper and you wax it enough, 
that you can move them yourself. Um, it, it's not the end of the world. You only tend to find them on back zip, though. Uh, they, they don't go around corners very well and they don't bend too well. Um, but given the choice, yeah, I, I just prefer metal zippers. I, I just find them um, just a bit more robust um, and uh, and just strong and reliable. Whereas with my plastic zipper, I'm forever worrying about, especially when it's open, whether the, it's like opening too much. And, uh, and yeah, I, I do get quite worried about my plastic zipper. Um, whereas, yeah, while I was teaching, I had the, uh, the metal zipper, and I don't think I worried about that once. So, um, yeah, I probably would opt for a uh, metal zip. And that's it for for the first week of um, of January of 2024. Um, yeah, remember to check out today's sponsor, ScubaPro.com. Uh, over the next few uh, few weeks and months, we're probably going to see a lot of their uh, their new and exciting 2024 lineup. And uh, yeah, remember to head over to our website, ScubaDivingMag.com. Consider a magazine subscription. Uh, check out the latest scuba diving news and gear reviews. Uh, otherwise, yeah, thank you for listening, everybody. Remember to like, share, subscribe, do all that good social media stuff. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening everybody and of course safe diving